Welcome to our crime podcast. I'm Jem. And I'm Ali, and this is episode one of many, hopefully. Yeah, but is anyone going to listen to it? I don't know. Maybe. Who? Like, one person. Like, on your Facebook. <laughs> Maybe your brother. Yeah. We'll just go upstairs and he's there. Just really into it. Yeah. So, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm Ali's mum. And... Yeah, and we decided to do a crime podcast because... Why, Ali? Because you like crime. <laughs> so do you. You like it more. Yeah, but you like unsolved Yeah. crime. I like serial killers yeah. and disappearances. Well, yeah, I do too. And who's your favourite serial killer? I don't know. Maybe a Zodiac killer. That's cool. my favourite oh, serial killer. <coughs> Why do you like the Zodiac Killer? Because it's cool how they just like, still haven't catched him. Caught. <laughs> Not catched. <laughs> to catch the killer. Mm-hmm. That's why I like him, and I don't think they'll ever find him. But they did find the Golden State Killer a couple of years ago. He was a rapist uh, in the 70s. I think it was seventy Golden State, whatever. But yeah, he raped lots of women, and now he's standing trial. He's seventy four. He doesn't want to take a death penalty. Mm-hmm. Why not? He's seventy four. Just yeah. get it over with, mate. Might as well. <laughs> While you're there. While you're there. Yeah. Okay, Ali. Before we start with our case, what's your favorite crime? Uh, I quite like um, Room One Hundred Four Six. That's a pretty cool one. Tell me about it. Well, like, the hotel in, like, Kansas City, isn't it? And he put his name down as, like, Ronald T. Owen, and it was, like, later discovered that his name was, like, Angus Ogletree. And then, like, the maid came up and said that he was having a visitor, this, like, man named Dom, and then he was in there, and then... Like, they couldn't get in because the door was, like, locked. Like, from the outside, which is weird. And then he was killed. I think that Don was, like, his friend, and it was, like, a bigger thing. And, like, Don was forced to do it. By who? I don't know. Like, a bigger group. Like, above him. Like, the mafia? Yeah, like, some sort of gang. Again. When did it happen? I don't know. Oh, I think he was like sixties or something. <clears throat> oh. Well, would it have been a gang? I don't know. Maybe it was just one of those weird things. Yeah. Someone just randomly gets killed in a hotel. Takes all row away and says, mm-hmm. See a lad. You know it happens sometimes. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. <laughs> Regular occurrence. Well, another one of my favourite killers is uh, <laughs> Ed Kemper. Oh my god, yeah. What a lad. What an absolute lad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what a lad for killing his grandparents yeah. and his mum. But he's an interesting character. Mm-hmm. How t- isn't he like almost seven foot tall or something ridiculous? Yeah, he was like really big. But he's got like a really big IQ. Yeah. It's crazy. But he was in Mindhunter. Yeah. Well, not him. 
they're not gonna Simpson was also in Umbrella Academy and I went to Vicky Vale in the second season and my mind was like blown what the actual red carpet no not the actual they red let red him red. out of prison to go and play to go and play red. Hazel in the Umbrella Academy Hazel yeah. well I don't watch Umbrella Academy I'm not cool enough so Ali shall we crack on with our case today that's six yeah. pages long mm -hmm. and before we started recording this I spilt Pepsi all over my notes yeah. Which has made Ali really mad at me. You were forcing me to go and get towels. <laughs> my paper is soaked. So today we are going to talk about the Central Park Five. Ali, do you know anything about the Central Park Five? Uh, I know that it was like a bunch of kids in Central Park and they were accused of a crime that they didn't commit just because they were like racially profiled and then one of them was in there for like 11 years or something yeah and basically like went insane yeah pretty much that is it so we may as well stop recording <laughs> yeah thanks for watching the podcast <laughs> listening <laughs> so i first heard about this about 10 years ago i think in a book and then I've listened to loads of podcasts about it. And then last year on Netflix, they brought out When They See Us, which was amazing. And I was watching it the other night. Yeah. And then Ali came home and was wondering why I was skipping it. Most of it. But I have seen it about eight times. Because it's just so good. I watched like the first episode and then I just didn't carry on. <laughs> When? Yesterday? No, like when it first came <coughs> out. Oh. Oh. You didn't mm -hmm. carry on? No. Oh. I watched like the first like half of the first episode. Well, it's not like easy watching. It's quite sad. Mm -hmm. Um. Also, we're going to have to talk about uh, our least favourite person, Donald Trump, in oh, this episode. Great. So, trigger warning. Trigger warning if you're very Trigger disturbed warning. by that man. Yeah, well, who isn't? Melania Trump blinked three times if you need help, it's, mate. We'll, we'll come and get you. Well, I don't want her in my house. <laughs> we'll send you somewhere. Yeah. So, should we talk about it? Yeah. Okay. Not Melania Trump, but okay. Not Melania Trump. <laughs> so, in April... 1989 in Central Park, obviously New York City. There had been reports of incidents happening around the park of assaults. One of the people assaulted was Trisha Miley, who had been jogging around Central Park that evening. On closer inspection, Trisha had been sexually assaulted and was in a critical condition. This crime was named one of the most publicised crimes of the 1980s, especially... I'd say in America, maybe not here. Yeah. But New York was a really violent place. And, and they kind of like cleaned it up. Yeah. Yeah. Just like handled things better. Yeah, there's not as much crime there. Mm -hmm. When I've been there, I felt safe. And you know, we live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so Trisha was 28 years old at the time of the attack. She was left bleeding and she lost 75% of her blood. How did she, like, did she survive it or not? 
Yeah, she survived. What do you mean it's twenty five percent of your blood? Yeah, and yeah, it's uh, not very good. She was also bound, and she had no clothes on. And after she was found, and even before, there was twenty to twenty four arrests made after her attack. And Trisha did not remember anything about her attack, which was why they were just probably arresting mm. everybody because she couldn't remember it. So she mm-hmm. couldn't say, oh, well, he was this tall. This is what color his hair was. Probably because he lost 70 to 75% of his blood. Yeah. And she had also been beaten really badly mm-hmm. with a rock on a skull. I think her skull had been kind of caved in. Oh. Yeah, I think on the end of when they see us, or well, not on the end, in the middle where they show the trials, she comes in and she can barely walk. I think she had to learn mm. to walk and talk again. That's how yeah. bad like her condition was. So in the park that evening, there were teenagers hanging around with friends and having fun. So... Also, and I've put here, like I'm not saying that some of these teens were doing innocent things because there were so many assaults that evening anyway on mm-hmm. other people, but nothing as bad as what happened to Trisha Miley. So, but once the news of the assaults were reported, the NYPD stormed Central Park and chased anyone they saw. And again, it was like full of kids like from Harlem, they were all just like in the park because you live in Manhattan. Why not? You're gonna be in a park. <clears throat> so two of the teenagers arrested that night were Raymond Santana and Kevin Richardson. They were both 14 at the time. At around 1.30 a.m. on April 20th, Miley's beaten body was found and obviously this increased the urgency for more arrests. So the other kids arrested, got to keep saying kids because they were kids, mm-hmm. were Antron McRae, who was 15, Yusuf Salam, who was also 15, and the oldest, Corey Wise, who was only 16. They were all brought in for questioning because they fit the description of some of the assailants, even though there was no description. Yeah, it it must have been them. Mm -hmm. Yep, pretty much. So there were other people brought in for questioning as well, but I don't really want to go in to detail for them. I mean, it's they were also kids, but we are just focusing on the five. Maybe I should have gone into a bit more detail for the other two or three, Mm -hmm. but not much was really ever written about them. Yeah. Because... These were like the most notorious ones. So let's talk about five boys. So Raymond Santana Jr. was born in 1975. He was the son of an African-American mother and a Puerto Rican father. The night of the attacks, he was in the park playing basketball with his friends. Kevin Richardson. Now, I didn't really find much out about Kevin Richardson. I think he leads quite a quiet life. But he was the son of a single mother, again, African-American. And on the night of the que- his questioning, his sister came down to the police station where he was being held. 
Then we have Yusuf Salam. He was born in 1975 to Sharon Salam in Harlem, New York City. He was very good friends with Corey Wise. Antron McRae, also born in Harlem in 1975. He was the son of Bobby and Linda McRae. His dream for the future was to be a professional baseball player. And I think the saddest bit for me about um, Antron McRae was that his father, Bobby, believed that he was gifted. What, he'd done things before? Or was he just completely innocent? He'd never done anything before. None of these kids had ever done anything before. Like, not to, like, this extent. I mean, mm. obviously, kids do things. Ali, you're a child. <laughs> but nobody had ever broken the law. Yeah. And uh, from what I've read and heard, Antron was actually, like, a model. Yeah. child but his dad just believed that he'd done it then we have Corey Wise who makes me really sad Corey was born in Harlem in 1973 Corey often played truant from school because other students would make fun of him Corey is hard of hearing and has a learning disability and I want to add that his name was not on the list of suspects for this crime he was simply waiting for his friend Yusuf. So yeah, just keep that in mind as we listen to it because it's just so sad that they just wanted one more person mm. to get. So they're just like, yeah, he's waiting for his friend. Let's get him. Easy to manipulate with a learning mm. disability and hard of hearing. <coughs> so now, oh, and also if you watch when they see us, the last episode is all about Corey Wise, and it's so, so sad. Mm -hmm. Ali watched a bit of it with yeah. me the other night. I watched the whole thing. Oh, did you watch the whole thing? Yeah. Oh. It was really... How long was it on for? Like an hour and a half? Yeah, it was really long. Yeah, it's really, really sad. Um, so, yeah, now we're going to talk about that piece of crap. Not Donald Trump. <laughs> that was kind of like the driving force behind arresting and asking for these children to be interrogated. That was Linda Fairstein. She was the head of the sex crimes unit of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office from 1976 until 2002. Linda was the person who interrogated Corey Wise and that asked for him to be interrogated. And I've written here another reason why I really despise um, Linda Fairstein. Uh, she tried to silence a victim of Harvey Weinstein. Oh. Yeah. So that's, you know, like for someone who worked, who was like the head of sex crimes until 2002, mm -hmm. to then say that um, a victim of Harvey Weinstein's lying. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, it's a bit of a joke. But I don't want to talk about Harvey Weinstein because gross mm -hmm. so these five boys were all interrogated for seven hours they were given food and drink and told if they cooperated and said like oh yeah this is what i did then they'd get to go home with their families they kept saying to them just tell me what happened and you can go home you know just tell me just tell me but they didn't yeah they never went home mm -hmm. well obviously it's like three of them did but yeah so, and I've put here as well, I want to mention these two people here. Um, if you've seen Making a Murderer, Ali, I don't think you have. No. 
Well, there's a boy in that, Brendan Dassey. Yeah. He was coerced into making a false confession of the murder of a woman. He was, I can't remember how old he was, but he had a learning disability as well. Mm-hmm. And he's still in prison now for something that he didn't commit. He was just like, again, told, tell us what happened, you can go home. When was he like first like <clears throat> put in prison? Brendan Darcy. Yeah. I don't know, Ali. I might have to look it up. I haven't watched Making a Murderer for a long time. It's a bit of a bit of a wild ride. Let's see. Oh, so Brendan Darcy was sixteen. Uh let's see. Hmm. You can keep talking, Ali. <laughs> about what? I don't know. Oh, so it was about 2005, and oh. he won't be eligible for parole until 2048, even though he hasn't done anything. But he's done nothing. And then we have uh, Jesse Kelly as well, from one of my favourite cases, the West Memphis Three. I think I followed that when I was about 14. Is there anything about West Memphis 3? No. I think I've like heard the name West Memphis 3, but I've never like looked into it. Yeah. Uh three boys, like little boys, were found murdered and stuff. I, I won't go into it because mm. Sonny is here in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but they were found murdered and they were found in a it wasn't like a lake, it was like a little creek. Oh. And uh, they took in people were questioning. Jesse Muscali also had a learning disability. He was he gave a false confession because he was coerced because he was to- he was told again, you can go home. And the other two were brought in for questioning, purely because they were goths. <laughs> they were what? They were goths. They like metal music, what and they the were they were the oddballs of their town, and they people thought, oh, it's. They're Satanists, and there's this thing called Satanic Panic, so they arrested them, and they spent a lot of time in prison. A long time in prison. They're out now, but, um, yeah, they had to still plead guilty to come out, even though they never did it. That's a bit sad. That's America. What do you want me to tell you? What an amazing place. (laughs) Well, it's a great place, but, you know, some things are flawed. So... Antron, Kevin and Raymond were all allowed to have their parents and siblings in with them as they were being interrogated because they were under 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yusuf was, even though he was only 15, he sat alone purely because he faked an ID saying oh. that he was 16. And the interrogating officers started off nice and quickly started mentioning names and faking information. Now, this is something, right, that is legal in the US, but not here. They're all fake stuff. Yeah, so say if we were being questioned for a crime we hadn't committed. Yeah. We were in separate rooms, they'd come to you and say, oh yeah, but Jem says that you did this, and then they would come back to me and say, well, Ali said you did it. And this is what they were doing in this. Like, they were saying, oh, yeah, Raymond says that Kevin did it. What do you think? Oh, Antron, you know, Yusuf says that you did it. So who, who's lying? Tell me the truth. And, like, as if they were 
trying to irritate them to kind of grasp their friend up, even though mm. they some of these boys didn't even know each other at all. So yeah, they were just trying to get them to grasp on each other to try and get out of trouble, which was a disgrace. So yeah, the boys had no option really, but you know, to say, oh yeah, well, I think Kevin did it, or I think whoever did it. So Corey was interrogated by himself as he was the oldest of the five and his interrogation video is actually up on YouTube. Isn't that good? Yeah, I've watched it. I think I watched it last year. It's like two hours long and it's so sad. He's like sitting there. It looks like a classroom. Mm -hmm. Sitting there with like a can of Pepsi and they're being nice to him and, and he's kind of like leaning in as if he can't yeah. hear them because he's hard of hearing <clears throat> and he doesn't understand a lot so it's it's really sad i don't like to watch it but i'd recommend watching it if, yeah. Yeah, if anyone's interested so let's go back to the other boys coerced confessions so the parents of the boys also asked them to confess well just to be like just get over with and then we'll go yeah because they thought oh yeah well i suppose they probably thought well if you confess we can go home and then yeah. sort it out. Mm -hmm. But obviously that never, ever happened. No. <laughs> so they'd probably never forgive themselves for that. I don't think I would, but what do you do? After the seven hour coerced confessions, the boys, apart from Yusuf, he did not sign a confession and was not videotaped. Oh, so they left somewhere. Yeah. Uh, this is like in the presence of their families. Um, Corey couldn't have anyone with him because he was 16 and classed as an adult. So that's like you being arrested for a crime at 16 and no one's allowed in there with you. You know, what do you know at 16? 16 isn't really like, you're an adult now. No, exactly. But here we are. <laughs> so they were videotaped in the presence of their families at the other boys detailing what they had quote-unquote done that evening it's also really good to mention that none of these boys had legal representatives that evening just their parents or guardians and no legal advice whatsoever so they didn't know what to do no i think again that's probably why the parents panicked of yeah just say you did it and then we can go home and you know try and get legal advice mm -hmm. so corey's confession was no different he only knew Yusuf and yet was giving the names of the other boys and giving his own version of events. Again, coerced. So I mentioned, you know, that he is hard of hearing and it is just so sad when you watch that video. Mm -hmm. I can't even... You can tell that he's like lip reading in it yeah. as well. So like, I suppose if they kind of turn to one side, what can you mm -hmm. really see? <clears throat> so Ali, you know, you're 14. How would yeah. you feel if this was you? Not very great. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody would feel great about this. But, I mean, would you know what to say if there was police interrogating you? No. No. I, I wouldn't either, you know, and I'm 35. But yeah, like, imagine being a 14, 16-year-old boy and you're asked if you've raped somebody. You know, I was obviously 14 once. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what rape was when I was 14. I don't even know if I was 13, 12 maybe. Yeah, but 
I think you have, I think you're far more mature, like teenagers are far more mature than maybe mm. what I was. You know, I was uh, not even allowed to watch a 15. Not a 14. No. <laughs> so now we are going to talk about everyone's favourite orange piece of, what's a nice word? That's there. <laughs> ah, he's a waste of oxygen. So we're going to talk about Donald Trump. So we know the current climate with Donald Trump, what mm -hmm. he thinks about people of colour. Yeah. Which isn't great. And his mindset was no different in 1989. What a piece of trash. So on May the 1st, 1989, after the boys had been arrested and named, he placed a full-page ad in all four of the city's major newspapers with the headline, Bring back the death penalty! Bring back our police! Yeah. So essentially, Trump was more than happy for these five teens, teenagers, children, mm -hmm. to be killed for crimes they didn't commit. Because there was no evidence... Other than, than some of them were in the park playing basketball. The only evidence that they had, and we spoke about this before the start of the podcast, and Ali was horrified by it. The only bit of evidence they had was semen in a sock. But why would, why would you put it in there, though? Well, do we need to talk about that? Because we had a conversation about that before. The memorabilia of, like, your crimes? Like, no, what? because the perpetrator, or perpetrators left it at the scene of the crime so it wouldn't like be some kind of souvenir but why would you just leave it there you're basically like walking into getting arrested maybe he wanted to be arrested sometimes you know people want to be caught yeah. like the zodiac killer we'll go back to him he was mm -hmm. always phoning the cops sending them uh, those weird letters but yeah uh none of that dna actually matched to any of the teenagers which did later come out in court. Now, I don't know. To me, if I was on a jury and someone said, this DNA does not match any of these boys, I would be not guilty. Yeah. Yeah, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Woo! Shock horror, that did not happen. Um, officers giving evidence during the trials gave false information and lied about what the boys had said before the cameras started rolling. I think one of them said, oh yeah, Kevin told me that, you know, he was on top of her. And he was like, no, I never said that. <laughs> so yeah, that is uh, what happened. So on May 10th, Kevin, Antron, Yusuf, Raymond and Corey all pleaded not guilty to the formal charge of attempted murder and rape of Trisha Miley. Out of the five boys, only three of the families were able to afford the $25,000 bail. Antron was held in a juvenile facility until trial. And Corey, <coughs> again, he's only 16, he's still mm. a child. He went to Rikers Island in New York. Isn't that the one like on an island? Basically? Yeah, that's why yeah. it's called Rikers Island. <laughs> but yeah, he was sent to Rikers Island and... Uh, I don't know, if anyone is actually going to listen to this. 
Well, I'm sure most people know some stuff about Rikers Island. There's been lots of controversial things happening there, like inmates dying. Out of all the prisons you could have sent a 16 year old to, you had to pick Rikers though. Yep, exactly. And uh, it wasn't his first, that was his first time there, but obviously he went back. Poor Corey. I wouldn't be able to survive Rikers Island. No. As an adult. But yeah, they keep people in solitary confinement there for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, remember I told you about Khalif Browder? Yeah. You wrote something about him for school. Mm -hmm. He was arrested for allegedly stealing a backpack. Yeah. Which I don't think he did. Or even mm -hmm. if he did do, should you be in Rikers Island? No. But he was kept in solitary for so long that when he came out, he committed suicide because he just couldn't handle life anymore. So let's talk about the trials. Are you excited, Ollie? Yeah. Are you already feeling angry? Yeah. Pumped up? Really, really pumped. <laughs> Super hyped. So on the first trial, which began June 25th, and ended on August the 18th, 1990. Defendants Antron McRae, Yusuf Salam, and Raymond Santana were tried. Each of the teenagers had his own defense counsel. Do you know what that means? No. Okay, so they each had like their own lawyers trying oh. to defend them, so it wasn't the same one. The jury consisted of four white Americans, four black oh. Americans, oh. of course, for the white Americans. Yeah. I thought it would have been more. Three Hispanic Americans and one Asian American. Miley testified at the trial, but her identity was not given to the court. None of the three defence attorneys cross-examined her, so do you know what that means? No. Okay, so none of them asked her any questions, mm -hmm. basically. That's getting too technical. We're not on law and order. So the jury deliberated for 10 days before giving their verdict on August the 18th. So each of the three youths was acquitted of attempted murder, but they were convicted of assault and rape of the female jogger, Trisha Miley. And they were also convicted of the assault and robbery of John Laughlin, who was a male jogger who was badly beaten on the same evening. Salam and McRae were 15 years old and Santana 14 years old at the time of the crime. As such, they were each sentenced by Judge Thomas B. Galligan to the maximum allowed for juveniles, five to ten years each in a youth a correctional facility. What do you think about that, Ali? I don't think they should have been given five to ten years. Maybe they were actually guilty of it then yeah i know but they were found guilty so it's uh what can you do mm, not much yeah not really so the second trial of kevin richardson and corey wise began october 22nd 1990 and also lasted around two months ending in december so remember kevin richardson who's 14 at the time had been free because they could pay his $25,000 bail. Uh, Assistant District Attorney Elizabeth Lederer had a lengthy opening statement and Wise broke down at the defence table 
after her opening statement, he was crying and shouting that she had lied. He was removed for a little bit from the courtroom. Richardson's defence counsel made a motion for a mistrial because of the potential effect on the jury. But the judge rejected it and the trial continued. So the defence attorneys, so um, Corey and Kevin's attorneys, said that, you know, they both had limited intellectual ability and neither of them were capable of pre preparing the written statements or videotape confessions. Because, you know, what, were they 14, 16? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything about the world when I was 14. <laughs> Like, I'm being questioned by the police. They contended that the confessions had been coerced from youths vulnerable to pressure because of their age and their intellectual capacity. Which, I mean, you have to go with that because it's yeah. true. So at this trial again, Trisha Miley testified. And again, they did not give her name. This time, now I do not agree with this. I can see why they did it, mm. but I don't like it. So one of Corey Wise's lawyers cross-examined her. Wise's lawyer had also asked her whether she had ever been assaulted by men in her life. Suggested that a man, maybe a man that she knew may have attacked her and implied that her injuries were not as severe as they had been presented. I don't like that. No, it's not very great. No, uh, especially because, you know, we heard at the start, you know, 75% blood loss. I mean, mm. isn't that not traumatic enough as, you know, men mm. being raped, beaten with a rock and you don't really remember anything that happened to you. You mm. just wake up and you're in a hospital. So Richardson was the only one of the five defendants to be convicted of the attempted murder of Trisha Miley. And he was sentenced to five to ten years in a juvenile facility. Because he was under 16. Yeah, so if you're under 16, you get less. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's much different in America. Here, um, if you're under 16, even murderers, well, actual, like they have definitely done it, um, they sometimes just go into like a rehabilitation yeah. centre. Because there's still time to like correct them, basically. Yes, but I would often argue, depending on the severity of the crime, mm. I would often argue that maybe they can't be rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably don't know about the case of James Bolger. I will never, ever talk about it on this podcast. It's horrific. That happened when I was a kid. The two boys were, I think, under 10. They murdered him. And they went to a rehabilitation centre. It was like being at home. It wasn't a prison. Mm -hmm. And then I think while he's back in prison now for being a paedophile. <laughs> so, oh. I mean, yeah, you can argue that, you know, it doesn't rehabilitate anybody. So, Corey Wise, 16 years old at the time of the crime. He was acquitted of rape and attempted murder. Because of his age and the violent nature of the felony charge, he was tried and sentenced as an adult, receiving 5 to 15 years in adult prison. After the verdict, oh, this makes me sad. <laughs> Why shouted at the prosecutor, you're going to pay for this. Jesus is going to get you. 
you made this up. Oh, poor mm. Chloe. I won't cry, but... Are you sure? Yeah, you know I did cry. Every, if I watch When They See Us by myself, I cry at Chloe's episode. Mm -hmm. And if anyone who's listening to this... Probably nobody. <laughs> but if you've watched it and you've seen that episode and you didn't feel a certain kind of way afterwards, then you're heartless. <laughs> That's a bit... Oh, Smart. but it's so sad. I think if you've got kids yourself. Mm. Oh, man. It kills me. So jurors who agreed to interviews after the trial said they were not convinced by the youth's confessions. So they also thought that they were false confessions. But they were impressed by the physical evidence introduced by the prosecutors. So the semen in the sock. Oh, Again, Chloe. again, it makes another. I think it comes back again as well after. <laughs> so many debuts. <laughs> the same in sock cameo. <laughs> Featured performer. Oh god, I don't really want to laugh about seeing in the sock. But... So they also found grass dirt and two hairs described as quote unquote consistent with the victim's hair that were recovered from Richardson's underwear. So they say consistent with, I mean, it's not hers then, is it? Consistent mm -hmm. with, or it could be, but the hair didn't match the DNA of Trisha Miley or Paddy, or any other boys for that matter. Didn't Both. match. Still got prosecutors. Yeah, well, this is what the jury believed, you see, you know, that must have been real. It must have been. Desperately wanted to arrest these boys. Yeah. And probably because they're like, oh, we don't want to bury the kids. How dare we do that? How dare they? Indeed. Uh, so, let's continue. <laughs> Four of the boys appealed their convictions the following year. Apart from Raymond, and I don't know why he didn't appeal at all. I think mm. maybe he had just accepted that this is what yeah. had happened to him and yeah the appeals you know they were denied so Yusuf Salam spent six years and eight months in juvenile detention from 1990 to 96 and was released on parole Raymond Santana served six years and eight months in juvenile detention from 1990 to 96 and he was released on parole but in 1998 he violated his parole and he was sentenced to three and a half to seven years prison on drug charges. He was released and exonerated in 2002. Do you know what exonerated is? No. Okay, so if you're exonerated, it means that anything that's on your criminal record is then wiped. Oh. Kevin Richardson. Oh, I love Kevin Richardson. He served seven years in juvenile detention from 1990 to 97, and he was also released on parole. Antron McRae was sentenced to five to ten years in juvenile detention. He served six years from 1990 to 96 and was also released on parole. Now we're going to get to Corey Wise. He was sentenced to six to 15 years in prison on sexual abuse, assault and riots. How was it riot? Because they were all in the park. Riot. 
Oh what? yes, what a riot. Yes. Playing my god. Baseball or basketball or whatever. Do you know what? I love America, but you know what? Like the criminal system is just completely insane. Mm. So he served 13 years oh, and eight months in multiple state prisons, like Rikers Island in 1990, uh, Attica, again, a very famous one, in 91. And this one, I said to Ali yesterday that I had no idea how to pronounce this. <laughs> I think it's Wendy State Penitentiary in 93 and Auburn State Correctional Facility in 2001. So... Ali, we watched this episode the other night and I said mm. I wasn't going to write everything that was in the episode because I didn't know how true it was yeah. and it was so sad that I didn't want to. <laughs> so let's talk about Corey's prison experience. Again, just remember that he is 16. He was 16. He's not 16 now. He spent most of his time in solitary confinement for his own safety during his time in several prisons. He was assaulted several times due to the nature of his quote-unquote crime. You know, we all know rapists are not really liked in prison. Rightly so. This is very surprising. Yeah, rapists and I think child killers are like mainly kept in solitary confinement. Mm. Uh, but because we know he was innocent, I mean, I wouldn't want to imagine what Corey went through in prison in his first few days. Like, he was probably mm. so scared. He knew he was innocent. And I think we saw in them, in When They See Us, whenever he went for like a parole hearing, you know, at first he was excited thinking, I could get out, I could get out. Yeah. But they always asked him, you know, are you going to admit to your crime? Mm. And obviously he wasn't going to admit to it because he didn't do it. And good for him. I probably would not admit either. So, you know, he was really lonely in prison. He's probably the youngest one there. Uh, his mother, I don't think, could visit him quite often mm -hmm. because it costs, you know, money to travel around the state of New York. You know, it's not like with Ali, you went to prison in the UK. Whoa. <laughs> you know, I could probably afford to hop on a train and yeah. come and see you. But yeah, who knows, it's a different time. So yeah, I wouldn't want to imagine what he went through. What did you think about the episode of him in prison? Um, wasn't very happy. It was quite like unsettling. Hmm. And you could like slowly see like how like worse he was getting in there. Yeah, I think what I did like, I don't, I don't even know if it's true, but I liked whether it's fictitious or not the story of him and. The guard who looked after him mm -hmm. when he was in solitary. I thought that was nice. Whether it was true or not, it was yeah. like a nice break from what you were watching. Yeah. So during Corey's time in Rikers and also in Auburn, he met a fellow inmate called Matthias Reyes. On the 5th of August, 1989. So we're going to talk about Matthias Reyes now. Oh, it's him. Yeah, it's him. It's him. It's him, the scumbag himself. So, Reyes was ni uh, not 19, 17 in 1989, and he raped a woman who escaped and ran for help. He was arrested at that time, and then he later confessed to an earlier rape and murder 
of, wait for it, a pregnant mother of three whose three children huddled in the next room during the attack. Other living victims identi identified him as a rapist. In a plea bargain, he was given a sentence of 33 and a third years to life. Why the third? I don't know. What, what's the point in just putting the third on? I thought maybe did they do it because obviously the woman was pregnant and maybe. she would have lost the baby. Maybe. I don't know. It's strange. Uh, it's counted as like a third of a life. Yeah, it's still a life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But we won't go into that because it's anywhere. Pro-life, isn't that anywhere? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, in the prison, Corey and Matthias actually got into a fight over the television. Corey wanted the music. Charles be turned mm. up. And Matthias Reyes did not want it turned up. And they got into a fight. But then they encountered each other again in 2001 in the Auburn prison yard. And had a friendly conversation. And I remember, again, in When They See Us, I don't know how true this is, but Corey basically said he forgave him mm -hmm. um, for, you know, I'm going to go in for the TV situation. So Reyes felt guilty for the fact, wait for it, that Wise was still imprisoned for a crime he had committed. Matthias Reyes came forward and confessed to raping and nearly murdering Trisha Miley in 1989. What are the odds of that happening? Of finding him again in another prison. Twi twice! Yeah. And then he feels so bad for him. And I think maybe Corey, I don't know, maybe he'd become hardened to prison in a way. Mm. And maybe, you know, he started off as such like an innocent kid. Maybe Reyes was just like, I don't want to see him this way. And, and I know I did it. And he knew he was in there for life anyway. I guess that's fair. Well, yeah, like, fair, but... He's not a good person, <laughs> but like, at least he did that. Yeah, you can kind of be like, thank you, Matthias Reyes, for uh, confessing. Mm. Otherwise, you know... I don't think Corey would have made it, you know? No. I think he would have uh, given up. So, this is a quote from Matthias Reyes. I don't even think I'm saying his name right. Uh, I know it's hard for people to understand, after 12 years, why a person would actually come forward to take responsibility for a crime. At first, I was afraid... But at the end of the day, I felt it was definitely the right thing to do. Oh. Thanks. Thanks for Thank that. you. So let's give him a clap. So let's well, talk well. about <laughs> where the Central Five, the Central Five, the Central Park Five are now. So after the confession from Reyes, all five men were exonerated of their crimes. In 2003, the Central Park Five filed a civil lawsuit against New York City for malicious prosecution, racial discrimination, which was massive in this case, absolutely mm. massive, and emotional distress. City officials fought the case for more than a decade, 
people finally settling for $41 million. Corey received the largest sum of money, but said no amount of money could ever compensate for what he was put through. So, I mean, I think Corey got 12 million. Would that be enough for you? No. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, thanks for the 12 million, but kind of locked me up for like 11, 12 years. And ruined me for life. Yeah. They could, like I said to you the other day, they could give me the entire city of New York and I would still be raging. Mm -hmm. But let's end on a... On a happy note, let's see what they really are doing now. Most of it's quite happy. Actually, it's all quite happy. Yeah. Uh, well, one bit isn't, but... <laughs> so Kevin Richardson is now 45. He lives in New Jersey with his wife and two daughters. Kevin works as an advocate for prison reform and still continues to talk about his experience. Good and honor. how could you not keep yeah. talking about it and speaking up about it? Because the system is still so, so flawed. Mm -hmm. Okay, Antron McRae is, I think this one is still the saddest for me. So Antron is now 46. He lives in Georgia with his wife and their six children. He leads a quiet life and stays out of the spotlight. And to this day, he has not forgiven his father for not believing him. As you should, you wouldn't want to yeah. forgive him. Yeah, I don't think I could. No. Never. Uh, I think I watched... Because um, we saw that Oprah Winfrey had something to yeah. do when they see us. Was she like a seasonal producer or something? Yeah, I think she's like executive producer or something. Yeah, she did a special afterwards and I remember watching it and I think it was Antron, it must have been, who just spent most of like the interviews crying because he was still emotionally not over what had happened to him mm -hmm. whatsoever and I don't think I could be either. Raymond Santana, now also 45. So it was down to Raymond as to how When They See Us got onto our screens after the director, Ava DuBernay, saw a tweet from him. Raymond lives in Georgia with his wife and his teenage daughter. He also owns a clothing line called Park Madison after his beloved hometown of New York. Yusuf Salam, what an absolute man this is. I love him. I love Yusuf. And his ten kids. Oh, he has got ten kids. How would you, how would you cope with ten kids? Oh, I can barely cope with the two of you. No. You can barely cope with me. I'm like a child. So yeah, he lives in Georgia with his wife and there, like Ali said, ten children. He's a public speaker, published poet, and advocates for criminal justice reform. Yusuf has received many awards for his work, most notably a Lifetime Achievement Award from Barack Obama in 2016. Two lads in one paragraph there. Obama and Yusuf Salam. What absolute lads. They are. Now let's get on to my favourite. Is he your favourite, Corey? I don't know, probably. Aww. So Corey is now 47. Corey is actually the only one who stayed in New York City. I don't think I could. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I could. Not after, like, the entire state messed you up so badly. Mm -hmm. But Corey is a public speaker and a criminal reform activist. 
Corey donated $195,000 to the Colorado chapter of the Innocence Project in 2015. In his honour, they renamed this chapter the Corey Wise Innocence Project at Colorado Law. Do you know anything about the Innocence Project? No. I'm just looking at my notes of what I've written down. No. <laughs> oh, I love the Innocence Project. I've watched loads of documentaries about them. So, I think they're a non-profit, you know. They use DNA to exonerate inmates who are wrongly convicted. Lots of them are on like death row and they've been in prison for like 30 years or more. Uh, we do have one, you can see I've written it down. Yeah. The Innocence Initiative in the UK. There's been a couple of TV shows about them. Yeah, I don't think really. I think there's like BBC Scotland or something. BBC Scotland. BBC Scotland. So yeah, that was the case of Central Park Five. Ali, how do you feel after that? Uh, I think they're obviously like wrongly done. And yeah. I think it should have like been sorted out sooner, not like in two thousand one, <coughs> whenever it was. Yeah. I agree. I completely agree. Well, if anyone listens, thanks for listening, guys. Or guy. Or guy. gal. Singular guy. We might be back next week. Ali wants to uh, cover ghost stories, which is not fun for me because our house is very haunted and I've got a bit of ESP. You don't have ESP. <laughs> I am the kid from Sixth Sense. You're not the child from Sixth Sense. <laughs> So what do you want to cover next week? Do you want I to do the know. story or am I going to do the story? I don't know. And she's going to delegate it to me. I can see it in her <laughs> eyes, guys. I can see it. Okay, if you listen, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Cheers. We hope we didn't bore you to death. <gasps> Let's say goodbye, Ali. Bye. Bye. Bye.